Welcome to episode 113 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And we are in California this week. Yes, we are. I have the true crime. Bethy has the paranormal and the drink. So what do you have? I picked another bourbon drink. (laughs) Get out. No way. I know, right? I am on a roll here. This is called The Gold Rush, and I found this on Liquor.com. The Gold Rush was first created in New York City. (laughs) Uh, uh, Okay, I'm confused, but okay. On the other side of the country. (laughs) Exactly. It was first created in, in a bar there, Milk and Honey. And then apparently the cocktail spread. And it is a pre prohibition classic. It is two ounces of bourbon, one ounce of honey syrup or simple syrup, three-fourths ounce lemon juice, freshly squeezed, garnish with a lemon twist. <laughs> okay. That's First, really did fancy. You, did you freshly squeeze it? I did. Did you put the little lemon twist in it? Okay, I will be honest. I definitely tried to do a little lemon twist. I don't know how they do oh, that. Oh, good for you. Good. I tried. It looks like a plop of lemon peel in there. <laughs> It's just whatever. It's not as pretty as it probably should be. (laughs) Somebody out there, teach me how to do a lemon twist. It is very good. I like the fresh lemon juice, and I added a little more than three-fourths ounce. I probably did a little over an ounce just to take that bite of the bourbon out. And you like it, huh? I do. So the steps to this cocktail... You add the bourbon, the honey syrup, and the lemon juice into a shaker with ice. Shake until well chilled. Strain into a chilled rocks glass over one large ice cube. Garnish with a lemon twist. I didn't have the one large ice cube. (laughs) I meant to. Alex got these really cool ice things that form like baseballs. And I was like, oh, this will be perfect. But they weren't. They didn't like. I didn't put them in early enough. I was going to make an excuse, but I just didn't put them in early enough. (laughs) In your face, searching, searching, searching. No, no. They didn't. I didn't. I'll be honest. It was my fault. Yeah. (laughs) You know what we need to do, Beth? We need to take maybe even a virtual garnishing class. A garnishing class? Do they have garnishing classes? Maybe some kind of a bartender class or a cocktail class or something cocktail like that. Cocktail class, yeah. But, you know, our real where we're really lacking is the garnishing part. But do they have garnishing classes? I don't know if they don't. I mean, they should. should we go check <laughs> some college syllabus for a garnishing class? Oh, that would be fun. Especially if we get to drink whatever we're garnishing. <laughs> I, I. All right. Well, we are doing this virtually. So uh, Bethy gets to drink and I don't. But virtual cheers. I do have to add here that my sister is visiting. Yeah. It's five o'clock. We start happy hour. So yeah, I'm a little happy. Isn't happy hour any hour? <laughs> we wait until five. We do. We're very consistent in that. But boy, oh boy, <laughs> once five o'clock hits, that's it. But I do have to tell you that nobody dies in my true crime. Oh, I was still on the whole drink thing. And you're talking about having cocktails at five o'clock. And you're like, and I will tell you, nobody dies. Well, I'm happy. <laughs> Nobody's dying when you're having your cocktails. Nope. Nobody's garnishing either. So <laughs> nobody's dying. Oh, boy. Okay, so we're talking true crime and nobody dies. Gotcha. Moving on. (laughs) Yep. I'm following, Mom. I'm following. So actually, Beth, I was going to cover this case in our next Bizarreities because it is, to me, the height of bizarre. But it is recent news, so I thought I'd stay relevant. I'm going to tell you about the very strange case of Sherry Papini. And you said you haven't heard too much about it? No, I haven't. Great. There's quite a lot out there on this case. I think because people are so captivated by the absolute absurdity of the whole thing. On November 2nd, 
2016, Sherry Papini, 34, sent a text message to her husband, Keith Papini, at 1037, asking him if he was coming home for lunch. Then she went on to do her normal chores. Around 2 o'clock, dressed in running clothes, she went running along Sunrise Drive in Redding, California. Because Keith did not have his personal phone on him at work, he did not see Sherry's text message until 1.39, and he responded at that time saying, no, he wasn't going to be able to come home, (laughs) obviously, past lunch. Keith got home from work and found the house empty. He wasn't too concerned because, well, maybe Sherry had to run to do a couple of errands after she picked their two children up from childcare, but then he received a call from the childcare center. His children, four-year-old Tyler and two-year-old Violet, had not been picked up. Uh Uh-oh. Keith's concern ramped up. Sherry may forget to pick something up or forget where she put her keys, but she would never, ever, ever, ever forget to pick up the kids. After all, she was labeled Super Mom. (laughs) Literally, that's what everyone called her, Super Mom. She loved those children, spent time with them, did fun things with them, and she loved Keith. They had a great relationship, maybe a few fights over regular marital disagreements, but they had been happily married for nine years. Life was really good, and Sherry would never have not picked up those children unless she was held back from doing so, though something was definitely wrong. Keith called a family member to pick the children up from childcare while he used the Find My app to try to locate Sherry's phone. You have that, right? The Find My? Yep, yep. Yep. It's how I find my earbuds because I always lose my earbuds. <laughs> no, I used that the other day for my earbuds. It really works. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And honestly, the only reason I got the Apple Watch was so that I could ding my phone whenever it goes missing, too. <laughs> I swear, they grow legs and just walk away. I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, it does work for family members, too. I remember when Katie lost her phone and we found it. So it's really Mm -hmm. a cool little app. The app pinged her phone about one mile from the house. Keith set out to find it, and soon, near the intersection of Old Ogden Trail and Sunrise Drive, he found the phone on the side of the road with earbuds wrapped around it and strands of blonde hair tangled in the earbuds wrap. Mm. Keith, at 5.50 p.m., right after finding his wife's phone, he called the Shasta County Sheriff's Office, reporting Sherry missing under suspicious circumstances. There was no waiting 24 hours. Deputies arrived shortly after receiving the call and began to canvass the area. Witnesses reported seeing Sherry running on Sunrise Drive, you know, according to some, Sherry's wearing a pink running jacket, or others says she was wearing a pink running bra. She was seen running at 11 a.m., and then others say she was seen running at 2 p.m. In other words, yes, Sherry went out for a run, and she was wearing something pink, but she never made it home, and there were no mm. leads. Shasta County Sheriff Tom Bozensko went on record saying that the missing woman was quote, considered at risk due to suspicious circumstances. Search and rescue teams with the sheriff's office thoroughly combed the area of Sunrise Drive and Old Ogden Trail. Then the California Highway Patrol took part by conducting an aerial search. Then police made checks on the 290 registered sex offenders living in the area. Flyers with Sherry's picture where she was last seen, and offer of a $50,000 reward to anyone who could provide information leading to her whereabouts were plastered all over, inside and outside of town. Keith got on TV, eyes red-rimmed and tears streaming down his face, pleading for whoever had Sherry to please let her go. No questions. He wanted his wife and their children needed their mother back home. Sherry's sister... Sheila Kausker was also interviewed and stated, quote, she has a family that loves her. Please just bring her home, end quote. I just can't. I honestly just can't even imagine somebody 
just just vanishing, just disappearing. Boom. I know. I know. It'd be horrible. You think of the angst in your heart. And we always say like, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. You know, and then I just, that's just such a scary thought. I know. Something happens and people just vanish and there's nothing that you could have done or it's, it's terrifying. uh, Two days later on November 4th, Trudy Nickens, founder and director of North Carolina, uh, North Carolina, we're not in Carolina, North California Alliance for the Missing, (laughs) organized a four day search for Sherry. Hundreds and hundreds of people showed up every day to search. That's great. Trudy is quoted also as saying, I mean, the food, the water, the cash. People just flooded to help find this lady. A GoFundMe account was set up to help find Sherry on November 4th, which, by the way, raised $49,205. Wow, that's great. It stated, quote, Friends, family, and community, please help us in raising money to bring Sherry home safe. All funds will go directly to the Papini family and will be used for search efforts to find Sherry and to help bring her home safely. Every dollar counts as time is critical. Thanks. Okay, so that's for the GoFundMe. Sherry's disappearance became national news. People all over the U.S. were speculating as to what happened to Sherry. Was it her husband? Did her husband do something to her? Because, you know, most of the time, it's the husband who's guilty or the spouse who's guilty, right? Oh, shoot. But no. On November 9th, it was announced by the sheriff's office that Keith Papini was not a person of interest. He had passed a lie detector test, and there was no physical evidence linking him to Sherry's disappearance. You probably came across this, Beth. You know, she's blonde, cute, missing from California. And then, you know, there's other women missing at the same time. I, you know, it did hit national news, so I bet you did come across it. Okay, now what? The family became frustrated, thinking the authorities were not doing enough. So they hired a private detective, Bill Garcia. Now, I don't want to misspeak here. Some sources say that Bill Garcia was hired. Other sources say that he offered his help. So you know how that goes. By November 20th, so 18 days later, more than 20 search warrants had been served and about 400 tips came in that were followed. Nothing. Wow. Oh, my god. Then Thanksgiving morning, November 24th, at around 4.30 a.m., a motorist on Interstate 5, around 150 miles south of Reading, spotted Sherry running in the middle of the freeway. What? What? Yep. Okay, so 150 miles away from where she was abducted, and it was like 4.30 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning. So she was running in the middle of the freeway. Okay. She had one wrist bound to a chain around her waist, and the first unit on scene called it in, describing her as heavily battered and a confirmed kidnapping. Sherry was extremely bruised from her face to her feet. She had burns on her arms. Her long blonde hair had been chopped, and she had lost about 15 pounds. Now, I want to say here, she was tiny to begin with. So this brought her down to about 85 pounds. Oh, my gosh. Sherry was transported to the hospital where further injuries were found. She had a swollen nose, bruises on her face, rashes on her left arm and left upper thigh. Her wrist and ankles showed signs of ligature marks. There were burns on her left forearm and bruises on her pelvis and the front of both legs. She also had a brand burned on her right shoulder. Oh, my gosh. Hot iron brand on her right shoulder. The clothing she was wearing was collected for DNA analysis. This included a sweatshirt, sweatpants, socks, and underwear. And by the way, the underwear were the ones that she was wearing the day she disappeared. But all the other clothes were not hers. Okay. At 10.30 a.m., the sheriff's office made a public statement, breaking the big news that Sherry had been found, that she was safe, 
She had been released from the hospital and was reunited with her husband. He did not, however, release the nature of her injuries and stated that it was still an active investigation and that authorities were, quote, looking for a dark-colored SUV with two Hispanic females armed with a handgun, end of quote. Oh. The following is an overview of Sherry's story that she told the police. Mind you, with her husband, Keith, always present. She would not meet with the police without Keith present. She stated that she was leery of the police because of something one of her captors mentioned, and she needed her husband close by her. Papini said that she was abducted by two Hispanic women, one older, one younger, driving a black SUV. She never saw their faces as they always wore something to cover their faces, sometimes bandanas, sometimes lace masks. She did describe the older woman as, quote, the mean one. She was the taller of the two women and was fat, had straight, dark hair with gray in it, and spoke in a raspy voice. She would often hit the younger woman. Papini acknowledged that she never saw this happening, but she heard it happen. The younger woman, seemingly more reluctant in the whole thing, was smaller with curly, long brown hair, and she spoke very little English. Papini sat down with a sketch artist, and the sketches were distributed all across the media, newspaper and social media. So it was like all over the nation. Okay. Describing the event of her abduction, Papini said that she was running and a dark colored SUV drove past her, then backed up to her. Oh, gosh. And then one of the women women rolled down the window and said, hey, can you help me? She kind of opened the door and Papini went to help her and the woman pulled out a revolver. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's so scary. And then the woman holding the revolver said, put down your phone. She said she didn't remember much of the car ride because she had something over her head and she kept falling asleep. So I'm going to go back to the phone just a little bit. The woman said, put down your phone. So Papini said that she tore out some of her hair so that her husband would know that there was a bad reason why her phone was by the road. Oh, my gosh. All right. So she said she didn't remember much of the car ride because she had something over her head and she kept falling asleep. When she awoke, she found herself in a room with the windows boarded up. She was wearing different clothes but was still in her own underwear. Her wrists were bound with zip ties behind her back. When she couldn't break them, she chewed them until they finally broke. Papini said wait, that wait, she... Wait, 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 hold on. Okay. You caught it, didn't why was you? She falling... well, why was she falling asleep in the car? I don't understand that. Did they give her something? And you said that her arms were behind her back. How was she chewing them from behind her back? Was that I a know what on I, your part? I or know that what I said. I oh, know what I said, darling. Yep, you caught oh, it. Oh, no. <clears throat> I mean, I'm basically a detective, so. <laughs> Papini said that she was put in a closet with a bucket filled with kitty litter for her to use for a toilet. In the closet was a metal pole to which the other end of the chain was wrapped So the chain was attached to that pole and the other part of it was wrapped around her waist. So she was attached to the pole that way. And they would, the women would always play music very loudly, says Papini. And quote, that really annoying Mexican music, you know, Mm. that was a quote. I didn't say that. That was a quote. (laughs) Papini said that her abductors fed her once a day, maybe rice or tortillas and sometimes apples. She said that the abductors chopped her hair, and the first time she tried to escape, the women brought a table into the room, tied her to it face down, and that was when they branded her, saying that her buyer, who was a cop, wanted her branded to show she was his property. Mm. The women would allow Papini to take a shower. That's when she also washed her underwear. But the young woman would stand guarded in the bathroom while the other woman paced back and forth in front of the bathroom door. 
Papini went into a lot of other detail about her three-week ordeal, but could never tell authorities any real detail. Like, what noises did she hear coming from the outside? How long did it take to get from the abduction site to the house where she was kept? And as far as her release, Papini said she was given food, and after she ate it, she became dizzy and nauseous. The next thing she knew is that the younger Hispanic was slapping her face, waking her up. The woman then put a bag or pillowcase over Papini's head and led her to a large car or SUV. She was tossed into the back where she lay until the car stopped. No, she did not know how long they drove because she had once again fallen asleep. After the car stopped, one wrist was cut loose from the zip tie and chain. She was dragged out of the car, still with the bag over her head, and the car drove away. She ripped the bag off and found she was alone on a dirt road. She ran, not knowing where she was going, and finally ended up where she was found. Okay, now, as you know, I've planted a few inconsistencies and, quote, mistakes as I told this story, and you caught them. Believe me, the authorities found many more inconsistencies in Papini's story. She was (laughs) interviewed a number of times, and each time there was something different or a new detail added. Detectives thought it may be wise to take a closer look at Sherry Papini. One of the first things they found was a 2003 blog posted on MySpace page titled, Keep Walking. The blog was written by Sherry Griff. Sherry Papini's maiden name was Griff. It was about defending herself against the Latino girls at high school who would taunt her and abuse her with words and physically abuse her also. Quote, the chief problem, stated the blog, quote, was that I was drug-free, white, and proud of my blood and heritage. End of quote. The blog goes on to describe a fight between her and a Latino girl. Quote, how it took three full-size men to pull me off her. I broke her nose and split her eyebrow. End of quote. The post was called Keep Walking because her dad had told her how proud he was of her after the fight and that she had, quote, kept walking even though she was bleeding and hurt. When detectives brought the blog to Papini's attention, she said that someone else had written it and used her name, and she was actually in the process of hiring a lawyer to have the post removed. Incident reports from the Shasta County Sheriff's Office from 2000 to 2003 also reflected a, well, not too stable Sherry. Her father, Richard, claimed that she had burglarized Oh, it's been a while since we've struggled with that. (laughs) His home and later had stolen money from his bank account. Loretta, Sherry's mother, claimed that Sherry was cutting herself, but claimed that her mother was causing the injuries. So she was going around and telling people that her mom was hurting her? Yeah. Yeah. And look, I I have the evidence. I've got cuts all over me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Her sister, Sheila, reported that her back door had been vandalized and she believed it was Sherry's doing. Also, Sherry had been married once before to an Army platoon sergeant, David Dreyfus, in 2006. Not for love, mind you, but for health insurance. They married right before he was deployed overseas. Sherry's mother claimed her daughter traveled the world together with her new husband. But in truth, Dreyfus said that they met once in Japan and never lived together, ever. Oh, my gosh. Bizarre. Yeah, yeah. But it was for health insurance. Uh. While married to Dreyfus, Sherry reconnected with her high school crush, Keith Papini. They moved in together. When Dreyfus moved back from overseas, he was informed by Sherry that she had met somebody else and wanted a divorce. And... Keith and Sherry were married in 2009. Now we're going to come back to the interviews between the detectives 
and Sherry and the things that didn't make sense. One, and this was one that I thought was weird. Sherry's phone with the neatly wrapped earbuds and blonde hair. Sherry said she had ripped some of her hair and placed it as a clue. But really, okay, think about this, Beth. Some stranger is holding a gun to you and saying, drop your phone. Are you going to literally take the earbuds out of your ear, wrap them around the phone, and take some hair out of your head and stick it in there while this person is just standing there holding a gun to your head? Probably not neatly wrapped, no. No, you probably, probably wouldn't just even drop everything right there. Ex- exactly. Like most people would. There's a gun pointed at you. You're not going to wrap it up. You're going to drop the dang thing if they say to drop it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Sherry said her hands were tied behind her back as you caught, but she had chewed through the ties that bound her. Really? That is like a strange visual. <laughs> <laughs> When asked about this, Sherry said, well, she didn't really remember how her hands were tied. So here's another thing. She was allowed to shower, all right, in a bathroom. This bathroom had what in it? Oh, a toilet? But she was made to go in a pail. But she was made to use in a litter box. That's right. That the women had to get rid of after she used it? That doesn't make any. showering somewhere. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's a toilet right where she's showering, right? I would assume, yeah. Then in 2017, authorities received word that the DNA found on Sherry's underwear and sweatpants was from a man. There was no women's DNA besides her own. Unfortunately, there was no match in CODIS, and it wasn't until March 2020 that through forensic genealogy, a hit was made on a family member. Following the hit, law enforcement discovered Papini's ex-boyfriend, James Reyes, and it wasn't long before Reyes spilled the true story. According to him, the two had been engaged for a short time, but had called it quits in 2006. In 2015, he had come across some of Sherry's belongings and mailed them to her. That's when the relationship started picking up again, not physically, just as friends. And it was because of their friendship that Reyes helped Sherry out. She told him that she was in a very abusive relationship. Keith, her husband, was both emotionally and physically hurtful, and she had to get out of there before he killed her. To hide evidence of their talks, they both bought burner phones. And that's when Papini divulged her escape plan to Reyes, and he followed through. On the early hours of November 2nd, 2016, Reyes drove 600 miles from his home in Costa Mesa, California. After getting to Redding, California, he waited for the text message from Papini to come get her. He picked up a very sweaty sherry on the side of the road and she laid on the back of the car seat all the way back to his house. Once there, Papini lived comfortably. Comfortably. <laughs> There's another word for me. <laughs> That's a funny one. She lived in comfort. <laughs> she slept on the bed in the bedroom, and Reyes slept on the couch. Reyes professed that they never had any physical relationship during that time. Papini never left the house and sent Reyes out to buy clothes for her at Target and TJ Maxx. At night, the couple would watch movies and just hang out, him thinking all the while that they were going to get back together. He did, however, think some things were a little odd. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Even though Reyes supplied plenty of food, Papini never ate much. Just bites here and there. It was also very odd that Papini hurt herself, going so far as to hit her head and body on the sink and bathtub. So, like, she just would throw herself on the bathtub and, you know, and on the sink to hit her head and hit her shoulders and hit her back. And he just thought that this was odd. Odd. I'd be like, girl, you need to go to the doctor. This is there's this is some, not just odd. We're, I'm not just going to sit down and watch a movie with you now. Like, let's have a conversation. Things going on here. 
Then he saw her. She burned her own forearm with the back of a heated spoon. So the burn marks on what? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She would ask him to hit her, but he refused to lay a hand on her. So instead, he followed her request and would hit hockey pucks at her, hitting. Okay. Her all over okay. the legs and pelvis. This Remember is, the bruises she had? This is definitely in the bizarre realm. Then one day she asked him to go to Hobby Lobby to get a wood burning tool. He emphatically stated that he did not want to do this, but Papini insisted he brand her with the tool, which he reluctantly did, with Papini handing him the letters, which when finished spelled the word Exodus. Okay, and that's like and that's like a long word too. Like I know, a, right? He's just going with this. Like, he's just going with I'm this. I'm sorry. He knew more than no than they're sharing. Like that's, that's so she's just, that's she's crazy. handing him the letters. And that's like a and again, that's a long word. Yes, it's six letters. This living arrangement lasted until Thanksgiving neared. And Papini told him she missed her children and wanted to return to her home. As always, Reyes consented and followed her orders. On the way, she tied herself up and gave him directions. She told him to stop and let her out on a deserted road close to Interstate 5. He did all this, then turned and drove back home, never hearing from her again. In August 2020, Papini was once again brought in for questioning. She was advised that it was a crime to lie to federal agents, but she stood fast. By this time, they had the story. They they knew that it was her, you know, yeah. what yeah. had happened, but they didn't say anything to her. She stood fast to her abduction by the two Hispanic women. Never wavered from that. This is such a bizarre story in itself because they said that she's brand they're branding her for a guy but she never really did she even mention this this guy like oh she never met him and he was a cop and she was going to be a sex slave that's just i mean i'll give her the creative i mean she should have just written a short story (laughs) she did (laughs) (laughs) okay So how about the $49,000 that was raised with the GoFundMe, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. The Papinis didn't let that go to waste. In December 2016, Keith transferred the funds into his bank account. He then used around $8,000 to pay off his credit card. Hold on. So now the husband is in on this? I don't think the husband was in on it, but he sure used the money to pay off his credit card. He used $8,000 of it. And Sherry used a that little over so three thousand of it to pay off of pay her credit cards off. That is so wrong. The couple used most of the rest of the money for personal expenses. Also, let me add to that. Papini applied to the California Victims Compensation Board for victim assistance money. And from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty one, she received thirty five payments totaling over $30,000. Oh my gosh. So her husband must have, I can only assume that her husband was just believed her story. I, I guess. I, I, Beth, I, I really don't. The $30,000 covered the ambulance transportation to the hospital when she was found and visits to a therapist and house blinds, you know, for security. Oh, okay. She was a victim. And so she had to have security for her house. So the blinds will do that? I guess so. That's what they use the money for. Okay. It's estimated that the cost involved in the resources to investigate her falsehood is in the excess of $150,000. Jeez. Papini was arrested March 3rd, 2022 for lying to federal agents and defrauding the Victim Compensation Board. She was released on bail, which her family paid, on March 8th. Now, if you catch any videos of her sheltered by her father and sister as she runs from reporters, and she's got this hoodie over her, she's a tiny little thing. She really, she looks like a kid. And she's got this hoodie pulled over, and she's running away from all the reporters who are just like, 
pouncing on her. That was when she was released from by the bond. And the video just honestly makes me mad. She's sitting there crying. And um, I mean, she's the victim, right? Because the still, reporters are going, still, yeah, why did you do this? Why did you defraud these people? What, you know, what are you going to do with the GoFundMe money? Why did you fake your abduction? You know, why did you do this? And she's just crying. She's the victim, right? I don't know. I, sure. I feel absolutely no sympathy. Anyway, Papinia appeared in federal court on April 18th and pleaded guilty to making false statements and mail fraud. And that's the mail fraud was from the victim's compensation board. She waived her rights to a jury. Probably a good idea. Papini's charges carry penalties of up to five years in federal prison for lying to federal agents and 20 years for mail fraud. Because of the plea deal, she will probably get a much lower sentence. So mail fraud is a bigger sentencing? Mm-hmm. That's much kind of bigger. Interesting. <laughs> much bigger. <laughs> That's super interesting. Do not commit mail fraud. <laughs> no, man. That's like a big offense. Well, yeah. We've had murderers that have a shorter sentence than that. Yeah, if she yeah. Well, if you think about it, though, her mail fraud was she, you know, that was the victim's compensation board. That's where that kind of goes to, you know, so she defrauded the state of that money. But we've had murderers that have killed people that have had shorter sentences than that. That's crazy. Her sentencing hearing is scheduled for July 11th, 2022. So it's coming up. Ah, around the corner. I know. However, she has been ordered to pay restitution to all her victims which includes the California Victim Compensation Board, the Shasta County Sheriff's Office, the FBI, and Social Security Administration, totaling to at least $308,000. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's why I listed those things in the very beginning. It's like they did an aerial search for her. They did, you know, they went door to door then they brought in the FBI. Oh, I mean, gosh. you know, they they put in so many resources, so many resources looking. And she was just, just busy playing hockey and watching movies. And nibbling on bananas. Yeah. Okay. As for Keith Papini and the couple's two children, Keith filed for divorce on April 20th, two days after Sherry pleaded guilty. He asked for full custody of the two children. Now, I'm leaving you with this question. Is Sherry Papini a criminal or is she a mentally ill woman? Because she inflicted so much bodily harm to herself. Was she searching for attention? I mean, did they didn't. I don't know. This whole thing has so many gone girl vibes to it. Um, That's exactly what everybody says about it. That's exactly. Really? Yes. I didn't, I read the book, but I never saw the movie. And everyone compares this to Gone Girl. Everybody. It's very Gone Girl. It's very Gone Girl. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think that it's the pattern of doing it when she was a kid to the adulthood where she didn't learn then and she should know better now as an adult like that. That's, she's a sociopath. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a doctor or anything, but. I just think the it's pattern. It's just so crazy. She has a husband who loves her, who's devoted to her. She's supposedly devoted to him. She's got she's two supposedly beautiful, super mom. She's got two beautiful children. She's been called super mom by neighbors and relatives and everything. She was the super mom. And yet then she goes and does this. It, it's so odd to me. I mean, just. Did she want the mm. attention? Was her life so boring that she needed this? But, you know, or did it blow up more so than she ever thought it would? You know, did she just sure. think she'd go missing from her family and then she'd pop back, you know? Sure. Did it get out of hand, in other words? But then... Uh, but like, But, like, the question is, too, did she not think that that boyfriend was going to come forward eventually? Like, she obviously didn't think it was going to get as big as it did because... Or else she would have been concerned that the boyfriend would have shared something. Right. Right? Or did she think that he was so in love with her that, you know, 
Did she make promises to him that she'd return to him with her two children? I mean, he was so madly in love with her that he would have done anything for her. Oh, so bizarre. Like I said, I was going to save this for our bizarreities, and then I couldn't. Oh, no, you had to share this ASAP. But it was, you know, it's so crazy. I know. I didn't really even talk throughout your story this time because I was No, you didn't. didn't at all. all. And I'm like, uh, hello, are you there? (laughs) Usually you cut me off multiple times. No, I was just sitting here listening. I was very intrigued. That's so interesting. (laughs) I noticed a few times you were like, uh, back up, mom. Just a minute. Say that again. (laughs) Yep. That's exactly what I said. Exactly what I said. Makes no sense. I mean, stand there, stand still, and let yourself get hit by hockey pucks all over your shins and your knees and your pelvis. And mom, she was branded like not even the (sighs) hockey pucks. It's she was branded. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. (laughs) I don't know either. Yikes. Well, we'll have to keep an eye out for her sentencing in in a month. Yeah, I I am very curious as to what she gets. You know, some people are saying she'll, they don't think she's going to get the full 20 and, you know, maybe not as much even as five years. But then people are saying she still did something wrong. Some people are saying she shouldn't get prison at all. Like she should not get sent to prison because nobody was hurt. She was just kind of unstable. But I'm saying that I'm not in that camp. <laughs> I'm saying she should get prison time and she should well, she have to pay for these resources. I agree she should pay for resources, but like it's scary to think that her out there in society too. Like she doesn't have full custody of her kids. She's not like everybody knows who she is now with not a very positive impact. And it's just. That's a scary thought, too. Now, what is she going to do next? Like, could she do something next? Could she do something because else? I'm, I hope she does find help if that is what it is. Oh, she needs. Yeah. But she's going to the, get this. The therapist was sending in because, you know, the therapist has to send in a session like evaluations in order for the state to keep paying is PTSD, sure. PTSD, PTSD. She was suffering from PTSD because of those Hispanic women assaulting her and capturing her and keeping her. So she had the therapist wrapped around her finger. Well, you know, that's something that I know we're not going to go into it, but that's definitely something that I took away from the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. They had so many different psych evaluations and different psychiatrists, psychologists and all this kind of stuff in this trial. And it is so crazy the different things that these different doctors got from an evaluation right. of Amber Heard. I, I mean, that blew my mind of just how absolutely different, different these doctors walked away from their interviews with her. I'm not saying who was right or who was wrong in that. I'm just saying, wow. You know, these were all very prestigious doctors walking away with totally different views. And right. it, it is, I guess it is possible that she was I think they call it malingering you know basically they're lying essentially maybe this psychiatrist fell for that I I don't know yeah I don't know I mean it makes you wonder whether it's the the therapist's point of view or whether she was really that convincing Mm -hmm. because in her mind you know maybe that's well that's the That's it, too. I mean, I want to point that, too. If she was mentally, okay, I'm not saying she is, but I'm saying if she's mentally ill, in her mind, maybe that's really what happened. And so then... Well, that's what I was just going to say. Like, that psychiatrist or that therapist was hired for the benefit of their client, to to help their client. Mm -hmm. They're not going in there thinking, my client is a liar. They're going in there thinking, I'm going to help my client. Right. You know, this is what she's showing, these symptoms. This is what I'm going to do to help her. So, I mean, you can't really even blame the therapist for thinking it's Oh, I'm not blaming I'm not blaming the therapist. Oh, no, I know you're not. I'm just saying in a general. No, it's just, it's interesting. Very fascinating stuff. 
And wait till you see pictures of her. She looks so innocent. So innocent. And I feel bad for her. I do too. You know what? I really do too. I do too. Because the extent that she went, I I don't like that. I feel feel sad. It makes me sad. That's all I got for you. Well, are we ready to move on? We are ready. So like I said, Mom, I am basically a detective. (laughs) I'm getting one of those shirts, too. So then I will basically be a detective. I got the cutest shirt from this company called Forensic Miles. M-Y-L-E-S. I'm obsessed. And we've teamed up with them so that you guys can get a basically a detective shirt as well. They have some really cute sweatshirts, t-shirts, spooky babes club. I mean... My favorite is probably the one that says only here to establish my alibi. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Or, or as mom said in this episode, it's usually always the husband. There's also a shirt that says <laughs> the husband did it. <laughs> so we've teamed up with them. If you go check them out, forensicmiles.com. And then when you go check out, use the code hangover for 15% off. Yes. Moving on to Paranormal Mom. Quote, My new house, when completed, will be the handsomest, most comfortable, and convenient place in town or within 150 miles of here. Unquote. This is what Thomas Whaley proclaimed when he built his home in 1856. He designed his home with bricks from his own brickyard. So it was a fancy house. Mm. and the first of its kind in San Diego. Thomas Whaley was a wealthy entrepreneur who had moved to California for the gold rush. (laughs) That's the the drink. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Thank you. His grandfather had been a gunsmith and had provided guns for soldiers in the Revolutionary War. His father was a gunsmith who served the militia in the War of 1812. And Thomas was an entrepreneur. He was a good businessman. He and his family had lived in San Francisco, owning their own general store, and he settled a few other businesses as well. But shortly after his marriage to Anna Eloise de Lanay, it's French, it's a guess, oui, oui, they moved to San Diego and he set to build his fancy house which now is known as the most haunted house in America. In America, not in in California, in America. In America. This is the Whaley House. After moving into their home, they had three children in three years. (laughs) Wow. Yep. (laughs) Francis, Anna, and Amelia. They also had a son named Thomas who would die at just 18 months there in the home. Later on, they will have three more children, George, Violet, and Corinne. Now, it wasn't just a family home. Through 1869 to 1871, it was used as a hangout place for the locals there in San Diego. A hangout place? The hangout place. Okay, mom, this house was seriously, it was a lot of things. It was San Diego's first commercial theater. There was a theater in the Uh house. Uh A general store was downstairs. Yeah. And it was also the county courthouse. Oh, my gosh. And this is all in one building. And this is not a big building, guys. This is not a big building at all. (laughs) And then upstairs is where the family lived. And you you heard I listed six kids. Right. Oh, my gosh. We're not talking the Winchester house here. We're talking. No. Oh, no, my this gosh. is not very big. And like they had a courtroom, a courthouse in there. They had a big general store. And then upstairs they had the theater. And that's also where they lived. <laughs> OK. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Now we are here for the paranormal and ghostly activity basically started as soon as the Whaley family moved in. Yeah, but I thought he built it. Didn't he build the place? He did. So according to his youngest daughter, Corinne, she was the last of the Whaley's to live in the home. But in her journals, she wrote that soon after moving in, her father heard heavy footsteps throughout the home regularly. And he attributed these ghostly footsteps to a man named 
Yankee Jim, whose real name was James Robinson. So the place where the Whaley House now stands used to be the gallows. Oh, it's all coming together. (laughs) And he was an entrepreneur. He was a businessman. And basically the land was cheap. And he's like, hey, I'll buy this land. It's cheap and I'll build my house on it. Right. Um, So it was that gallows. And Thomas Whaley himself witnessed the hanging of the horse thief, Yankee Jim. Oh. Some resources said he was a horse thief and some resources said he was a boat thief. He was a thief. He He was was a burglar. Okay. Okay. I don't know. He was a transportation thief one way or the other. (laughs) Yeah, he was. (laughs) (laughs) The story says that Yankee Jim was a very tall and lanky man. So as the wagon pulled away from his hanging, he hung and slowly swung, choking to death. Instead of his neck breaking when the wagon pulled away. Because he was so tall. Because he was so tall. Mm. And Thomas Whaley witnessed all of this and said, Yeah, I want to build a house here. (laughs) Where I saw the slow death of somebody. I want to build a house there. Yeah. So basically the haunting started as soon as they moved in. And Thomas Whaley attributed this to Yankee Jim. But it was also gallows. Like there was probably a lot of people that hung there. Yeah. Yeah. Visitors today have captured photos of a tall, lanky spirit. And the stories say that Mrs. Whaley was really bothered by him when she lived in the home. Mm-hmm. Over time, it wasn't just Yankee Jim who haunted the residence. There were many family tragedies in the home as well, including the death of Thomas, the Whaley's 18-month-old baby boy. He died of scarlet fever. Thomas is said to haunt the home. Now, we've talked about baby and children's spirits before. I still don't really know how I feel about that. I don't really like to think of a child being trapped in spirit form haunting a place like that really makes me sad yeah me either but people report like the pitter patter of little feet um giggles and the sound of a baby crying and they attribute these noises to thomas oh but they had six kids so the pitter patter of little feet and giggles that's what i was gonna say that could be residual energy of yeah any of the children right another whaley tragedy also happened in the home In the 1860s, daughter Violet was suffering from depression and a failed relationship. She went out to the outhouse and attempted suicide with a shot to her chest. Oh. Her father rushed out to bring her body inside where she died, where she died in the home. Mm -hmm. According to some resources, after her death, Thomas Whaley couldn't live in the house anymore and it was really hard for him. And they moved out for a while and then they... I think they moved back to San Francisco for a while and then they came back. Um, Now, I don't know if that was after Thomas's death or if that was after Violet's death, but there was like eight or 10 years that they moved back to San Francisco and then came back to the house in San Diego. But the home was always owned by Whaley's until Corinne. She was the last Whaley to live there. And even when they moved to San Francisco, it was probably being used for something, a courthouse or whatever. Correct. Oh, I'm. It was. I'm sure it was down. No, I'm sure the general store is still open. I'm sure the courthouse is still open. I'm. Yeah. S- I'm sure the theater was still running. Yeah. Okay. So a mist and a feeling of sadness is felt in the area where Thomas Whaley had pulled in his daughter, and she died. Violet. Mm-hmm. And Violet is also seen on the stairs. Actually, a lot of spirits are seen on the stairs. <laughs> oh. Okay. Lisa. (laughs) Always on the stairs. Okay, so here I am. I'm being a Bettina. But I watched the Ghost Adventures episode of The Whaley House. It's season 11, episode 11. 11, 11. And you know how in the beginning of the episodes, they interview people who've had experiences and everything? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the stories were of people being seen or orbs or visuals or something on the stairs. Okay. It's always on the stairs. Now, what did Lisa say? What did Lisa say about the staircase? It's like a portal almost, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and energy. It's an energy on the stairs. Why? I don't remember. (laughs) We have to go back. I don't remember either. 
Was it because the energy walking up and down the stairs takes more energy than just so? Because you get so tired walking up and down stairs. Hell, I do. <laughs> but there's you expend more energy on the stairs. So there's like more <laughs> energy on the stairs. I'm going with that. That makes so much sense to me. Okay, Mom. <laughs> <sighs> Mr. Whaley is believed to be the man that people see. He's leaning down from the upper balcony over the staircase, kind of looking down. There are even some stories that he would appear in front of people and blow his cigar smoke into their faces (laughs) and then disappear. I mean, rude. (laughs) Can you just imagine like you're just walking through a tour of this old home and then all of a sudden this old man's in front of you (laughs) and he blows cigar smoke (laughs) and then he disappears. I would be traumatized. (laughs) I'd be like, what the heck just happened? My feelings would be everywhere. Like, offended, scared. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Corinne Whaley, the youngest daughter, who, like I said, was the last to reside in the home, actually saw her mom and her dad regularly when she lived there. When they were dead, not when they were alive. You probably saw them regularly when they were alive, too. But I mean, like, after they had passed. You were talking about, but thanks for the clarification. (laughs) Okay, so the Ghost Adventures episode. One of the things I took away from that episode that I thought was interesting was that many men especially those of like uh, police or military have been attacked in the home. Oh, they and there's been pictures of what looks like rope marks around their necks or they have like a choking sensation Uh and they attribute this to Yankee Jim, of course, because he was hung. Sure. But again, he wasn't the only one who died on the gallows, but I guess that would kind of make sense to be. If they were hung by the sheriff or what have you. So so their pictures are actually, I mean, you can see mm-hmm. there's redness around their necks or whatever. Yep, around, around their throats. Wow. It's kind of like a mimicking of a rope. Really? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Another thing from the Ghost Adventures episode that was incredible to me. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not being facetious. I'm being serious. It was very incredible to me. And it was not the evidence that Zach and the crew captured, but it was when they interviewed a local, I almost said paleontologist. I don't know why. (laughs) Wow. We're dating way back. (laughs) Oh, God. Local ghost investigator. Um, (laughs) Oh, no. Her name is Maritza. And she's the founder of the San Diego Ghost Hunters. She had this really cool photo on the staircase where you can see a figure. It was really cool. But the incredible evidence, the best evidence, was the EVPs that she captured. So she was using the Ovulus device. And in case you don't know what the Ovulus is, it's this thing that has, it has a bunch of words in its database. And somehow, I don't know how, but spirits can manipulate their energy and use this ovulus to come up with words to communicate. Right. Well, George Whaley (laughs) is a haunt at the home. Another George. (gasps) George. And apparently he loves to communicate with the ovulus. And he came through in one of Maritza's investigations and... He manipulates the energy and the ovulus says, I'm George. <gasps> and then and then she goes, oh, hi, George. And he goes, Whaley. Oh, my gosh. I'm George Whaley. I just thought that was so, so cool. freaking cool. OK, it gets even cooler. Later in that same investigation, George says, silly Maritza. <gasps> Which blows my mind because according to my research, and even Zach says it on the episode, the ovulus has like 500 words that the spirit can manipulate and communicate with in the ovulus's database. 
And And Marisa would not be one of them. Maritza, I think it's Maritza. I'm so sorry. Maritza is definitely not one of them. Wow. And he's like, and either would Maritza, and either would Whaley be one of them? I, I I mean, George might be because we've run across a lot of Georges, but not Whaley. So crazy. It was so cool. It was so cool. Uh, Okay, so another haunting in the home is again a child. Anna Bell Washburn. She was a neighbor friend to the Whaley children, and she is seen in the dining room. So Anna's story is one that's told by the Whaley House's employees during their ghost tours that they do. Anna was a friend of the Whaley children, and she was at the home to play. Mrs. Whaley had made a batch of cookies, and little Anna came running into the house. She hit a low-hanging clothesline and broke her neck. Oh, no. So... I mean, she ran inside for cookies. I, I, I can joke because this is there's literally no record of this little girl. There's oh, no okay. record of this death. Like, I okay. don't know where this story came from. I, I really don't know if there's any truth to this story. But okay. a lot of hauntings do see a little girl in the dining room. That part is real. If you believe in hauntings, that part is real. <laughs> you did look at me when you said that. If you believe in all things. So I found this website, um, San Diego Explorer. And Mm -hmm. obviously they explore San Diego. And Hedge Metrion, and I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that. She wrote a couple blogs and one was on the Whaley House. And I'm going to quote from her blog. Okay. She said, quote, I remember feeling as if someone was following me when I was at the very back of the group. As we walked through the dining room, I saw her, a little girl around my age, looking at me. We made eye contact for what felt like ages, but could have only been a couple of long seconds. I've believed in the supernatural ever since, unquote. But there was a lot of personal stories about seeing a little girl in the dining room. Hmm. Many people saying like there was one that said that they went on like a, I think local schools probably take their students there for field trips and what have you or because of the history right of course right. and there was many of them that were like i was on a field trip with my school and i did not believe in ghosts until i went to the dining room of the whaley house and they saw a little girl in there really yeah and so i don't if the anna story is true or not i mean girl me too i'll run for cookies any day <laughs> but I don't, I honestly, I, nobody can find real truth in that, but that is the story that they share on the tour. Interesting. Now, Anna Eloise Whaley, the mother, is the most common spirit in the home. Oh. Her French perfume is smelt throughout the house, especially in the parlor. Most often, she shows herself to the younger guests that come and visit the home. And I guess she gives off this very warm, comforting presence, just like welcoming children and yes, and younger visitors to the house. So yeah, I definitely say the house is haunted. It has a really cool history. And I also read that there are hauntings from the family dog and the family cat as well. (laughs) The dog too? The whole family obviously still resides in this house. And dang, when the goldfish makes an appearance, that's when oh, it's real fun. <laughs> I know. I mean, I I still, I really would like to go and just see this house because I can only imagine the small compartment that this family had to live in. Right. With I mean, six when kids. you look at pictures of this, it is not a very large house at all. Like, it's not a large building at all. And the bottom story, the bottom floor was all the general store. But at a courthouse and a theater and then their house. Jeez. Huh. Yeah. My college bestie's from San Diego and she said she has never been, but we, I want to go. So do I now. I've heard of it. I've heard of it, but I, yeah. Well, yeah, mom, it's the most haunted house in America. Of course you've heard heard of of it. it, Obviously. Duh. Duh. Obviously. (laughs) No, when Tom and I were in San Diego, I, I I think I actually saw signs for it. And I was like, what is that? I saw signs for the Winchester house, too. And at the time, I didn't have a clue what it was. Isn't that stupid? 
And now I'm like, oh, when are we going to go to California again? I don't know. But <laughs> now I know where I want to go to, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. The haunted attractions of California. <laughs> Forget the beach. I want to go to the haunted attractions. Well, that's how I am any place we go now. <laughs> What's well, on it that I can go visit? Because I actually just bought an ovulus. No. I did. Oh. So. Are you bringing it to I our really, trip? I will bring it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to start carrying that around in my diaper bag with me everywhere I go. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> you never know no. when you need an ovulus. <laughs> well, that was a good one, Mom. Yeah. Weird. Weirdness, right? Weird weirdness. Weird weirdness. Okay. So, listeners, just a reminder that we're doing this every other week. Yep. During the summer. Every other week. So that Bethy gets a break with her little boys. We will be back June 27th. Hey, I've got some cool interviews lined up. So, Patreon, look forward to that. Yes. You can join us on Patreon. You can download the app and find us, Killer Hangover, or you can go to patreon.com, P A T R E O N. You can buy us a drink. You can find resources and photos and all that in the link in the description of this episode. Or you can check out our website, KillerHangoverPodcast.com. You can find us on on our socials, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. We're also on YouTube. And uh, that's about it. Now I really want some cookies. <laughs> I think I have some Oreos in the pantry. I'll go oh run in there. <laughs> All right, Mom. Well, I'm going to go get myself a cookie. This was a good episode. Okay. I'm going to see what my sister's up to. <laughs> All right. Virtual cheers. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid. <laughs>